Let us pray. We praise you, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word, the living Word of God, that we might know you and be known by you this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit that the reading and preaching of your Word, that that we might not just be hearers of the Word, but we would be people who respond to it with obedience and with love. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Derek, and I am one of the pastors here at 3rd. It is great to be back with you. My family and I have been uh, gone for a little over three weeks. Uh, we thought that we would escape the, uh, the humid Richmond summer by going to the Everglades in Florida. Uh, and it was, the weather was much nicer there, actually. Um, the swamp life was good to us. Um, but it is really, really great to be back to you. We missed our spiritual family, and it's, it's good to be home. This summer, we've started a series uh, in the book of James. It's called Faith That Matters. And behind the book of James and and behind this series, there is a particular vision of the Christian faith that exists and drives everything. It is not a faith that is transactional, focuses on this one moment in time with God, but instead it is a transformational faith, a faith that works its way into the nook and cranny of every, every part of your life. It impacts all that you do, every part of your life and your being. We've seen over the last few weeks how how a faith that matters, it impacts how you suffer. It impacts how we respond to the word of God. It impacts how we relate to one another in community. And today, as we turn to James 3 in just a moment, we are going to find that a faith that matters, it impacts the way that we use our words. It has a lot to say about our tongue. So read with me from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. You can read in your scriptures or Uh, You can also read along if you want in page 8 of the bulletin. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. While with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the Celtic Christians uh, have this idea called uh, thin spaces. And thin spaces are these, these holy places in the world where, where you encounter God. 
There's a phrase that they say that heaven and earth is, is no more than three feet away, but in the thin spaces, that distance is much, much shorter. Well, over 13 years of ministry with college students at the University of Virginia, I can say for sure that Rockbridge Young Life Camp, for me, was a thin space. It was a place where I encountered God year after year. I got to spend a month a year there for 13 years. And we'd bring about 1,200 students in from three different states. And what we would do is we'd, we'd meet with Jesus together, we'd spend time with the Lord, and we would equip and train them, send them back out to the campuses for all that they needed for a year's worth of ministry uh, back on campus throughout the year. It's definitely a thin space for me and for my family. So I remember where I was, where I was April 2012 when uh, my area director called me and told me that there was a fire sweeping through that part of the state and that it might actually even come to take over uh, Rockbridge. I was sitting in my office at the Center for Christian Study. I just finished reading a book. And um, my wife and I know some of the staff, so we called. I called one of my, a couple of our friends who, who worked on staff there. And I, I talked to Flip. And uh, after getting some more information from him, the more details I got, the more terrifying it actually got. It, it wasn't a small uh, or even easily controlled fire. That fire ended up burning 3,700 acres. That's five times the size of Central Park. I remember asking, how close is it to the camp again, you said? Uh, a football field. If you can run to it, it's too close. Like that is extremely close. Here's what's amazing. Somebody actually got a picture. Like the week that I was talking about, somebody actually got a picture of the, the brush fire. That, that building in the center, I mean, a lot of people from this church have been to right. That's the spring center right there in the middle. Look how close that is. It's haunting haunting picture. Amazingly, this camp was spared. And, and about a month later, we were at Rockbridge with college students again. I, I went up to the ridge with some college students who wanted to hike and to see what it was like. And I can say uh, firsthand, it is one of the most uh, surreal experiences of my life. It was, it was like, uh, it's like being in an apocalyptic wasteland, something you would expect from a, a, a movie. It was uh, terrifying. There, there, everything was destroyed, underbrush. I mean, there were uh, trees, just everything. And then there'd be these little pockets of just three or four trees the fire decided not to consume. It, I've just never seen devastation that up close. When I talked to Flip, they, they said they thought it was a vehicle fire that started it somewhere way, way away from the camp. And um, it got me thinking. I remember I was thinking up there, how could something so small as a vehicle, just a vehicle that caught fire somewhere, um, probably a fuel line, one or two inch cut, you know, in a fuel line or, or a piece of wire, five or six inches long you know, that, that caught fire. How could something that small, that isolated, cause this much destruction? That's, that very question is, is at the center of James chapter three. He's not asking that question about fire. He's asking it about the human tongue, about the power of our words. How can something so small cause so much destruction. Now, here are some facts about us as speaking and communicating creatures. The most recent studies suggest that most of us spend 70 to 80% of our time communicating during our waking hours. Now, 30% of that is speaking. 10% of that is uh, tapping with some device or Googling. I don't always do that, but that's, I don't know why I do that when I say Google or type, but that, that means typing on your computer. Uh, together, that's around 40, 41% of the time that you spend in your life, crafting and communicating 
words. The average person, not the super talkative or the super shy, average person uses 7,000 words a day. And your texts and your tweets count. Average, the average person, not everybody, the average person receives about 94 texts a day. That's 2,800 a month, 34,000 per year. It's incredible. The point is this, we are constantly communicating. Some of your external processors, some of your internal processors, but 40% of your life as a human is gonna be spent with your mouth open or your thumbs or your fingers tapping, communicating. So it shouldn't surprise us then that God has some significant things to say to us about how we use 40% of our time. If we seek to be a people transformed by God, we long to be a community that has a faith that matters. What we're going to discover today is that we're going to have to wrestle with our use of words. The three things I want us to, to, to examine from the text. First is this, our words are powerful. They matter. James starts uh, this uh, passage by uh, telling teachers, you should, avoid teach- you should avoid teaching at all if possible. He's elevating the importance of words, ele- elevating the importance of that role. It will be judged more strictly. That's our first hint that uh, words have power, that they matter. And then he goes on to say that we all stumble in many ways. Anybody else glad that that phrase is in the Bible? I am. We all stumble in many ways. But he goes on to say this, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their entire body in check. If you can control your words, James says, then you will not stumble spiritually at all. Words aren't just important to James. He he sees them as perhaps the most transformational force in our spiritual lives. Is he being dramatic? No. Others throughout history have absolutely recognized this to be true. One of my favorite quotes by Friedrich Nietzsche is this, all I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I could turn the world upside down. You've heard me say this before, people live and die for ideas. Nations are formed around them, families thrive or die under them, communities are formed, by movements come out of them. We, we live and die for words. And, and this is actually a, a, a appropriate. It's, words are important to the Christian story. Vitally so. Everywhere in scripture. John chapter 1 tells us, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The word was with God. In Genesis, we find that the, the Lord, the God of the scriptures does not create like the other gods of the ancient Near East. He doesn't have to summon up power to, to create. What does he do? He does it by the power of his word. He says things like light, day, dark, sky, land, heavens, and it just was. He says the word and things that were not burst into existence. When he creates us, Like him, he uses words. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Through the whole Old Testament, God is defining and redefining his intimate covenant relationship with us through words, words like his promise to Abram, words like the Ten Commandments, words like the Sermon on the Mount, words like the epistles of the early church. 
God saying, I am your God and you are my people. Hear what I have to say about you. Eventually, Christians, they gather together the most important words that they know about God, who he is, who we are, his purposes in the world, and they put them together, what we call the creeds of the church. Words are crucial and important to us as followers of God. Because our God is a communicating God, because we're communicating creatures, words matter. And a transformational faith, brothers, a faith that matters will never dismiss the power of words. James goes on to push this further in verses three to five. He uses these two metaphors and spends a good bit of time on them to prove and to illustrate the importance and the power of words. He uses the metaphor of a bit in the mouth of a horse, allows you to, to, to change the direction and orientation of the animal, and he uses a rudder. He says that a rudder, even though there are substantial forces at work on a boat at sea, they're the, the currents underneath the boat, they're the air currents above catching the sails, it is this one small thing, the rudder, that will place that boat wherever the captain wants it to go. And so if you're like me, uh, brothers and sisters, and you wrestle with what's it like to follow God in the world, you might ask a question like, so how do we control the powerful forces at work driving me to sin, driving me? And James says, you shouldn't ask that question, Derek. You shouldn't ask, how can I control these forces that drive me to sin? You should ask, how can I control my words? How can I control my tongue? That's the first thing we see for, the, for faith that matters. It begins by recognizing that our words are powerful. The second is this. Our words can bless or they can curse. It's important not just to understand that words are powerful, but that words do things especially when spoken by image bearers of God. He, he builds this by, by, by establishing the contrast between the ideas of, of blessing and cursing. And, and he says that our, our words, your words, can bring life or death. They can build somebody up or they can destroy their dreams, their hopes. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. James puts it this way, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, image bearers, made in God's own likeness. We bless and curse from the same mouth. My brothers, this should not be so, he says. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Let's examine a little bit how our words can harm others, how they can curse you know, this is not a text where James holds back, holds back any punches. Not that James hold, he's hold, holds punches back in other parts of, of, uh, of this book, but he's not holding any punches back here. He says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil. It sets your whole life on fire, and the fire that it feels, it's the fire of hell itself. Not only is the tongue powerful, it is powerfully destructive. And we know this to be true because we are relational beings. We have friends and children and spouses. 
And we know that a careless word can shape or misshape someone's life for years. Now, your words can't change reality, but they can change the way that someone else perceives it. And that can do great harm. Let's look at this a couple of different ways. We can see this, sometimes we see this in words uh, that were said of us during childhood. Is there anybody in this room that can agree with me that middle school is literally the worst? Was literally the worst. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, you know what nobody ever says? The best years of my life were fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. Or I'd love to go back to that time when I was just hovering on the edge of puberty, the awkwardness. No one says that. Middle school is the worst. And it was the worst for me uh, because uh, right before I hit fifth grade, I'm, fifth grade, I moved to uh, Sussex uh, County, New Jersey from Clarksville, Virginia, my hometown. And um, right, as, right about that time at the end of elementary school, my, my eyesight went south fast. I went, I went from this cute little boy who everybody thought was adorable and could see well to having a 20, 10,000 vision. That's really bad. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this, but actually I'll show you some pictures. That is, that, that's what happened. I don't know why I'm doing, I don't know why I'm showing this to you guys. Uh, the things you do for the gospel, right? Uh, I don't know why my parents let me out of the house in that shirt. But um, so I show up in this new, this new place with these, and I was, I was mercilessly teased uh, during those two years, mainly because of, of those glasses. And it, it was the early 80s. Technology is not what it was. In the early 80s, if you had eyesight that bad, your life was just over. It was just done. Like there's nothing you could do at all. Um, Contact lenses did come out in seventh grade and my, my social life was, was resurrected. Um, but I'll be honest, um, I still feel pretty uncomfortable when I wear my glasses. You'll never see me preaching them. Uh, I wear them around the house and it, it just, it, it doesn't, hasn't dominated my whole life, but there's still some resonance there. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I can just remember. I remember one of my best friends, one of the, the I got all the stuff, you know, uh, four eyes, a Coke bottle glasses. But I remember this one where my friend pulled me aside with some friends and they thought something big was happening and they kind of got their voices really quiet. They're like, hey, we just wanted to know, can you see the future with those things? <laughs> like, I can still remember, right? I can still remember, like our wounds, our, our, our words wound, okay? And that stuff sticks with us. Um, we, we see this not just in childhood and words that are, are, are used without thoughtfulness. We can see this in our home, in our families. The quote on the front of the bulletin that I love from Maya Angelou is she talks about how we should be really careful about the kinds of words that we let into our home because words do things. Right? She, the words are things. They, they get in your rugs, in your upholstery, your clothes, and finally get into you. Isn't that good? And that's what happens. And this can happen in Rome. And I, I think I've told this story before, but it's, it's worth telling again. Uh, there was a time when uh, Fisher, we lived in Charlottesville. He was, I think, around five years old. And um, he was doing something he should not be doing. I'm pretty sure it involved trying to attack his brother with something. And so there was some level of danger involved. He wasn't going to kill his brother. But um, I had just had it. And for whatever reason, I, I, it triggered something in me and rage just boiled out of me. And I started yelling at him. And I was yelling things not like, you should do what I tell you to do. It was like, what is wrong with you? Who do you think you are? Like, what is wrong with you? What kind of person does that? And I was yelling and, and I was kind of screaming. I was kind of stomping at him from across the house. And um, he didn't see me or because he was stabbing at his brother. And um, 
And then he turns around when he hears me stomping. And when he sees my face, he screams like, like a blood-curdling scream out of a, out of a horror movie. And then, and then I stop and I scream because his scream like terrified me. And when we calm down, I'm like, what, 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 what happened? And he goes, Daddy, when I, when I turned around and I saw you, I thought you were a monster. And I was. That's the sad part of that story is that, that in that moment I, I was. It, it is true of us that we, we often will reserve for the people that we love the most the harshest parts of ourselves, the harshest words. And in our homes, we can see that, that our words can cause great, great damage. Some of the worst things said or said to me or said by me have been between me and my wife. And I realized in that moment when my son said that, this is just one of those times in my life where like, I need help figuring this out. Where, where is this anger coming from? I, I don't know why I responded like, but I need help. So this for one of the first times in my adult life, I started going back to Christian counseling and it was, it was great, helping me figure out where does this come from? Our words can bless and they can curse and cause great wounds. Our words can kill. Absolutely, our words can kill. That is not an overstatement. When you think of Michelle Carter, who bullied her boyfriend to suicide via text, convicted, conviction upheld not too long ago. And when you research cyberbullying amongst teens, it's terrifying what you find. Hundreds of teenagers in the last few years committed suicide, not because they were depressed. Because a group of people on social media and their incessant battering of negative words and their shaming of them. It's like, in some ways, our technologies weaponized the worst parts of human nature and it handed it to 14-year-olds and said, good luck. Our words can kill. And that's a bit of an extreme example, but the same thing is happening in our churches, in our small groups, in our relationships, in our homes. Our words are destroying and can destroy one another. Our words have the power of life and death. They bless and they can curse. I want to talk just for a minute. James doesn't talk that much about, uh, about uh, blessing and praise. He talks about how our tongues praise God, and then he really spends most of his time focusing on just how destructive our words can be. But I, I do want to encourage you, church, that that there are ways in which your words can bless. You've seen some of that today. We've sang songs in another language that remind us that our God is the Lord of the ethnos, the Lord of the nations. He's not some tribal deity that one country can claim for their own. He is the Lord of the nations. Those words have blessed you. Liturgy, liturgy is a blessing. It speaks over us the things that are most true of us and most true of God. It gives us the words that we need when we don't have them ourselves. Those are blessings. I remember um, I experienced this most clearly in, in a relationship with one of my staff. His name was Greg Shu. Uh, now Greg is a Chinese-American. He came from Duke to UVA, and he was in a little bit of a rough place. Phenomenal leader, just kind of destroyed everybody in his wake. <laughs> so, so he was a, didn't have a pastoral bone in his body, but man, he could force people to get some stuff done, right? 
And so uh, uh, the, the, the regional leadership team was like, if anybody can work with Greg, it's the Mondus. <laughs> so, so he said, if, 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 try it for a year. If God breaks parts of his heart and he softens, then like he can come on staff. If not, you know, we tried. And um, it wasn't because of the us. I mean, the Lord was at work in this man's life. And that year was transformative for him. And so the year after that, he ended up helping build the work at UVA right alongside me. It was beautiful. He was one of my co-laborers in the gospel, a lifelong friend. About six or seven years in, he feels called to, to, to go to Boston, to become an area director there for InterVarsity, and to, to start working amongst the historic Asian chapters. So there's some of the two oldest Asian chapters in our movement. And he wanted to, he felt like he was being called there to do that work. And um, so we were processing that. And uh, we went out to Monsoon in Charlottesville. It was a great little restaurant. And um, he pretty much, I thought we were pretty good. He made the decision. felt like God was calling him to do it. I didn't, I didn't really understand why he wanted to meet for lunch. And um, while we're meeting, he's a little agitated. And um, he starts talking to me. And he says, Derek, I, I need to talk to you about something. I don't think I can go to Boston until you give me your blessing. And I was, I was very confused by that because, one, I was super excited for him. <laughs> like, I thought, this is what you hope for when you develop leaders, right? You, like, they, they uh, grow and they mature and they mature beyond you. And they, they, a vision that God has for him that I didn't, I didn't even touch. Um, but, uh, see, he's Asian and I'm not. He's Chinese and I'm not. And one thing that was really important to Greg was, I need a father's blessing. Hierarchy matters to me and to my family. And, like, my family's not as there spiritually and you have discipled me. You have uh, walked, been my leader since I've come on staff. And I just, I can't, I can't go until you tell me I have your blessing. And um, we're just crying over like, <laughs> you know, hey, Greg's not a crier, he's a fighter. Um, and it's this beautiful moment for me. I, I think as, as a white male, I don't really think in those terms. And it was a powerful reminder, one, of how, how Greg and his family, the way they experienced blessing Something was pulling me back to this is a really deeply biblical idea that our words are meant to bless and to name the good, deep things that God is doing in people. Um, and it was a, a beautiful moment for me. Our words can do things like that. They can bless and, and, and push God's deep affirmation into people. The last thing is this, words reveal the quality of our faith. So we see that words are powerful. We see that words... I have the power to destroy and to give life, to bless and to curse. And then finally, we see that words reveal the quality of our faith. Look, James ends up saying something pretty depressing, and it is this, that, that uh, your efforts to transform your own speech, to harness words for good, are doomed to failure. I, I hate it when the Bible does this, but it does it often. No human being can tame the tongue, he says. And what James is saying is that what's on the inside of your heart will eventually come on the outside through your words. And when it does, it will destroy others. That's why he has these two illustrations that are a little confusing. Like, why does he talk about how fig trees can't bear olives and grape? <laughs> why does he do that? Why is he talking about spring water and salt water not mixing well, what he's saying is you can't mix these two together. A, a heart that is renewed and redeemed is not going to bring cursing and death out of it. They don't mix together. I have, an, I have a picture for us of this incredible phenomenon. It's the Mississippi uh, River Rip is what it's called. 
Um, this right here is a picture of where the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico meet. And the images that show that all along that area where they're not mixing, it's called hypoxia. It's a, a dead zone. And this sometimes uh, usually forms during the summer where these two uh, bodies of water meet. And this line can go sometimes thousands of miles. I mean, it, it, can, uh, it can go for a long time. It's, it's, it's incredible how wide and how long it can go. But wherever it is, here's what happens. Wherever this hypoxic zone forms, the ecosystem dies, suffers, right? There's habitat loss, displacement of fish, decline in the species. And this, this phenomenon and the warning and those illustrations of what James is saying, you can't mix these two things, He's warning us about the dangers of a transactional Christianity when we believe that our hearts and our words are separate things. I can gossip and destroy others with my words. I can uh, judge, but I'm still a good person and I love God. He's saying they don't mix. If you've got darkness in the heart, it comes out of the mouth. If you've got light in the heart, it comes out of the mouth the spiritual ecosystem crumbles. And so part of what James is telling us, the tongue is not the ultimate problem. It's actually the heart. If the, if the tongue is the rudder, then your heart is the captain. In Luke chapter six, Jesus puts it this way. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why our words are so powerful and potentially destructive. It's the heart of one image bearer speaking into the heart of another image bearer, either words of life or death. Our words reveal the quality of our faith because they reveal the quality of our hearts. If you are someone who is always snapping, exploding, someone who is always criticizing, that is going to get out. It's going to land in the lap of someone else. And it reveals what is inside. When, when, when I've uh, exploded in anger before, I'll say something like, man, I don't know where that came from. Which is a lie. I know where it came from. It came from my heart. <laughs> I didn't do something angry. I'm an angry man. I'm an angry person. If we're honest, we've all done this. We've all hurt someone purposely with our words. And so let's ask this question. What does your mouth reveal about you? What does, what, what does the words that have come out of your mouth, what do they say about the quality and the character of your faith? Are you bitter? Are you desperate, angry, sad, judgmental, fearful? Maybe you're not an angry person like me. Maybe you're a judgmental person. Maybe you've judged someone in, in your heart, and even though you know that your standards are ridiculous, you can't let them go, and you still hold other people to them. And when those standards get violated, you may find respectable words, good words, words that you can say in public, but what you do is you know you're still unleashing your judgment, your criticism, and you know it'll crush them, and, and you do it anyway, and you see them cursed under the weight of expectations that God never had for them, but you did. That's a judgmental spirit, critical spirit. Maybe you're jealous and you feel threatened by other people's success. And you knew that your words were really a backhanded way to cut them down a few pegs. 
New guy at the office is great at sales. He's crushing it, killing it. And you just can't say, good job. Off to the side. There's something kind of weird about that guy. Just can't allow other people to experience success or joy. Maybe that's you. What What do we do with hearts this dark? We don't just need to rehabilitate some of our words. We need new hearts, new minds, new tongues, new language. And this, brothers and sisters, this is how the gospel transforms our words. It is through confession. That's the first thing you do. You can confess your sin. Confession is using the right words about ourselves. I am an angry man. I am a jealous woman. I have a critical spirit. It is so liberating, brothers and sisters, to no longer live under the lie that you can mix salt water and fresh water. to confess to God and to the ones you've hurt. That's the first thing we do. Second, you can commit to seek help. You can confess, you can commit to seek help. One of the things I love about the preaching here, um, Corey and I do it, Ed does it, other preachers that are here, they do it. We, We try to speak honestly about the struggles that we experience as followers of Jesus, as your pastors. And all of us, I think, have talked about the times, and I've done it today purposely, to talk about a time where I could not figure this out. I could not navigate a part of my heart myself, and so I needed the help of someone else, a Christian counselor. You can do that too. It is a very different confession to say to your wife, who you have wounded in the same way for 20 years, I'm sorry, I got angry, I'm not going to do it again. Guess what? You can do it again going to reopen that wound. It is a different one entirely to say, I am sorry for what I've done. I am going to get help. I I have some work to do on some internal stuff, some spiritual stuff, and and I'm going to get that work done. So you you can confess. You need to confess. You have to confess. And you can commit to find help. And then finally, you can cultivate new patterns of speech while you are working stuff out, that deep stuff out that process of repentance and and God's heart is transforming you. You can begin to speak words that bless. And you know what you do? You take all of those words that are dark and bring death and you give them to Jesus. There's a place for them. I'm not saying you can't say them. I'm saying you can't say them to human beings. (laughs) There's a place for them. And you give them to God. He'll take them. He'll take all the darkness in your heart. He knows it. And he will give you his words, what he thinks about other people. And then you take them and you can start sharing them. You cultivate a new language where you say God's words to other people. You can confess your sins. You can commit to seeking help. And you can cultivate entirely new patterns of speech. So our words are powerful, brothers and sisters. They have power to to bless and to curse and our words, they reveal the quality of our faith. So I want, I want to just close with this. that um, I, I hope that you know that what James believes is true. That God wants to transform your lives. He wants to change you. He wants you to have a faith that matters. And at the center of a faith like that has got to be 
redeemed language. Words that do not destroy, but bless and bring life. I wonder what kind of place third church could be if we became marked by edification and encouragement and words that unleashed blessing and praise. A different kind of fire might spread through us, not one that destroys, but one that brings life and it could flow into our schools and our neighborhoods and our institutions and it could help good things grow in the once arid landscape that is the world around us. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like a faith that matters. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you, we praise you. Jesus, our great high priest, the word of God, we ask you to have mercy. We thank you that the final word over us is love. That you, Jesus, are the final word of God about us. And so we pray that you would give us the courage to confess. You would give us, Father, the courage to commit, to find help. And you would give us the courage to cultivate entirely new language where the wonders of God are proclaimed in our midst and the fires of death and destruction are no more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.